We're getting down to the nitty gritty today of what is important for PA school admissions. And I am speaking with Jed Grant, who is the admissions director at University of the Pacific in Sacramento. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Um, I know you probably get so sick of me saying this, but I am so excited about today's episode. When I connected with University of the Pacific on Instagram, I had no idea that this would be probably, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say like top 10 most helpful episodes we've ever done because Mr. Jed Grant is amazing and awesome and it made me want to go there. Um, This is in no way sponsored by them. We just, they were willing to come on the podcast And so we will get to that in just a minute. And there are so many great tips like you need paper and pen or something to take notes because if you are a pre-PA student right now, this is an inside look at admissions. Like this is such a big deal. Um, I know right now with all of the COVID-19 coronavirus stuff happening, things are a little bit up in the air. We talk about that a little bit towards the end. Um, And I think just right now, no one exactly knows how that may affect PA school um, applications for 2020-2021. But um, hang in there. Just, I mean, we're talking about a lot in the pre-PA club on Facebook, on social media, and I'm sure the programs are kind of trying to figure that out right now. Um, So we'll hop in in just a second. I'm Savannah, by the way. Um, I am a dermatology PA who is not working for the next few weeks because our office shut down, trying to be as socially responsible as we can and stop this thing. And um, I run the PA platform, which is a blog about pre-PA stuff. And this episode will also be on our YouTube channel. But... um, We'll get into our interview. I do want to thank our sponsors, My PA Resource and PA School Prep. You can use the code FUTUREPA for a discount on either of those websites as well as on the PA platform. My PA Resource is an option for personal statement editing specific to PA school. Um, and we only use PAs for editors. I am one of the editors, but um, if you need help with kind of getting that polished off, that's a great thing to be working on right now. And then PA school prep is an option to help get you ready for those first couple semesters of PA school, which are kind of tough and a lot of stuff going on, a lot of materials are trying to help you feel confident with the anatomy, physiology, and midterm portion. All right, we'll get into our interview now. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, as always, you can feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or um, email. I'm around um, trying to figure out exactly what's going to be helpful right now for you guys. I think we're going to try to put together kind of a pre-PA club curriculum. So something that you can do weekly that we can all kind of talk about since the pre-PA clubs aren't able to meet right now. I had a few meetings coming up, and they have been canceled because no one's on campus. All right, let's get into hearing from Jed Grant, the admissions director at University of the Pacific. Okay, so my name's Jed Grant. I'm a PA. I've been a PA for 20 years. Uh, originally, I uh, didn't know what I wanted to do. I liked medicine. I think a lot of us get into medicine that way. I liked the science of it and that kind of stuff, and didn't have money to go to school or pay for school. So um, joined the army um, as a medic uh, to sort of see if I liked medicine and get my 
some exposure to treating patients. And then um, was getting out of the Army and had worked with some PAs in the Army, and they said, hey, uh, you should go to PA school. And I said, well, I don't have any money. You know, I got this whole GI Bill. I said, well, the military has a PA program. Well, they'll pay you to go to PA school. And I thought, well, that sounds like awesome. Uh, so uh, applied, and it, you know everybody said you're never going to get in. It's so hard, which is probably a common thing that PA applicants hear today. Um, but I didn't care. I'm like, well, all you can do is tell me no, and I got in. So I got paid to go to PA school, which is awesome, uh, and graduated in 1999, so a century ago. <laughs> uh, and been, uh, let's see, I've been in emergency medicine pretty much my whole career. Uh, did one year of primary care out of PA school with a few shifts in the ER and then have been full-time in the ER for most of my um, career. I got into education about four years after I graduated. I started taking PA students with me in the ER and was given occasional lectures and then they asked me to come more and more until I was kind of part-time in the ER, I mean part-time uh, teaching and then eventually after I was probably 10 years, uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I flipped uh, to be full-time uh, in education and working a few days a week in the emergency department. So been in PA education for 12 years, 13 years, and uh, had done every job full-time, at least in PA education, uh, that you can do, including program director. And now, currently, I'm the admissions director at the University of the Pacific PA program, which is in Sacramento. Uh, been here about five years uh, doing that, was a program director before coming here. And I teach uh, some skills courses and um, different, I help in all kinds of other courses as well. So I just kind of everything else. But the admissions director job is kind of the fun part. <laughs> I love teaching too, but, you know, it's it's exciting to work with uh, applicants and people that are getting ready to go to PA school. Uh, it's kind of reminds you of why you, why you do this job and, you know, why it's uh, kind of fun and exciting. I've been able to have a lot of people who are my scribe in the emergency department. Uh, come to our program or go to other programs and uh, kind of full uh, circle thing. So I had a PA student, a couple of them from years ago, who now are my faculty colleagues. Uh, and my uh, one of my PA students is a primary care provider for my mom and my brother. Uh, so really the, the whole circle and picked up uh, some urgent care work here maybe six months ago. And one of my former students was on the hiring panel. Uh, so it's a small world as a PA, you know, you think it's, uh, there's 130,000 of us and you think that's a lot, but really it's not, it's a pretty small world. That, I always say that it's like a small community and I would think about it because our admissions director would always say, I'm looking for people who are going to be great classmates and great colleagues because she said in two years, you're who I'm going to refer patients to. And that was kind of cool when I first got my referrals from my people who had been teachers. Like, it was, it felt very weird, and they, but it was good. It was like a good weird. Um, yeah. But yeah, Especially in specialty, right? You look at their referral, and you're like, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm like, oh, they must really trust me. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I did course. appreciate That's that. That's kind of neat. Yeah, we tell our um, applicants that uh, on our interview day that, like, you know, the purpose is really to find people who we're going to trust with the care of our families or ourselves uh, when they become our colleagues. And that's, in my case, it's literal. I mean, that's yeah. absolutely uh, what we do. So you've seen that, too. Yes, definitely. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the University of the Pacific's program? 
Of course. So we're a fairly new program. We're just finishing up provisional accreditation. We have our final uh, site visit. So your, your um, listeners uh, probably know that uh, all new PA programs in the first five years of their operation have provisional accreditation. They should not confuse that with probationary accreditation, which is different. <laughs> Uh, so provisional accreditation means that um, the accrediting body, the ARCPA, is going to come visit the program. They come once before the first class starts, once uh, when the first class is about halfway done, and then once after the first class graduates. And then after those three site visits, the program is given uh, continued accreditation. Uh, so we're, we're right at the end of that. Our first class graduated about a year ago. Um, and they all have jobs, they're doing well. We're just uh, going to start admissions here in a month or so, a little over a month, six weeks, uh, for our fifth cohort uh, will be starting. So we are a 27-month uh, master's degree program. The University of the Pacific has been around since 1851. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, two years younger than the state of California. <laughs> so the main campus is in Stockton, which is about an hour south of Sacramento. Uh, but the uh, Sacramento campus uh, is kind of a graduate campus. There's a law school here and several health programs uh, here on this campus uh, in the Oak Park neighborhood of Sacramento. How big is the class? I may have missed that. Uh, class is 45 students. Uh, so uh, we're kind of contained all in uh, one building. We basically, five years ago when the program started, the program director, um, I had, was a program director at the time. This He was sort of spinning this up and my program was closing. He said, hey, you want to come work with me and build a program? And so almost all of the faculty came from other programs and had a lot of experience. So it's kind of cool, you know, we can build whatever we want. And the same thing happened with our facilities, our building. We uh, said, you know, hey, we'd really like it to look this way. So we had a lot of input on our facilities. And so it's uh, really it was kind of a dream come true to if you could build a PA program, how would you make it? And so we're we have the same faculty that we started with five years ago. We haven't had any faculty uh, changes uh, except for one part-time person, but all the full-time faculty are still here and very uh, committed. Our offices are right next to the, the facilities. We have a virtual tour online if you want to see them, but uh, that's a little bit about the uh, program. So class of 45, we start in January every year, which is a little bit different. So our uh, folks graduate in April, uh, which uh, kind of nice when you're trying to get a job. Most people graduate in June. Uh, so a little bit helpful for that. We have uh, the first uh, 13 months is didactic, and then the rest of the time for the 27-month program uh, is um, clinical. So that 13th month of didactic is really a prep for clinical practice where we do a lot of testing and training to make sure that they're ready to go be trusted with patients. And then the same thing at the end of the 27 months. We have a month where we get them ready for boards and uh, do a lot of summative testing with them to make sure that they're ready to be turned loose on the public, uh, semi-supervised. Sounds sounds like a good idea. Um, <laughs> is there anything in particular that you feel like students just really love about the program? Like anything they tend to comment on or kind of seem to really, really enjoy? Yeah, uh, we get a lot of feedback from them on uh, our, a lot of the procedures that we teach. So, uh, I'm ERPA, it's a procedure heavy uh, specialty. We have a surgical PA that comes and helps teach. So, uh, we've fully integrated point of care ultrasound into our curriculum. So, in the second week, the students start using ultrasound. By the time they graduate, they're proficient at point of care ultrasound in multiple systems. 
Um, we have a ton of trainers. The university was pretty generous at the setup. They said, to, you know, build me a list of trainers and you want to um, basically buy. And so I made a dream list and uh, bought <laughs> all that stuff. Uh, so we have uh, arthrosynthesis, uh, pretty good uh, suturing trainers. We have LP trainers. We have central line trainers. Uh, we have a couple of high-fidelity mannequins that we use much mostly at the end of the program for sort of pulling it all together. Um, so a lot of really good procedurally oriented stuff. So the feedback from the students has been when they go to clinical rotations, uh, they're able to jump right into the OR because they've already been in, basically in an OR and, uh, you know, work with some of the equipment there. Or uh, when a procedure comes, they're already pretty familiar with the procedure because they've done it on a trainer. So a watch one, do one uh, thing is a little uh, more likely to happen because they're much more familiar with the procedure. So we're pretty proud of the clinical skills that the students develop in the program. We're proud of the uh, curriculum, the feedback from our, our preceptor system that they're very well prepared. It's common to hear things like, I can't believe this is their first rotation. Uh, things like that. So um, we're proud of that. And, uh, you know, the students should be proud of that, too. They work really hard uh, to get there. No, that's awesome. I've, I've actually interacted with a few students from there, and they all say good things. So um, that's always a good sign. Yes. <laughs> um, so your thing is admissions, and that is, this is a lot of pre-PA audience, and they... We'll probably send you a lot of questions afterwards. But um, what, as far as y'all's admissions process, can you break down a little bit about kind of what that looks like for you, especially being a January program? Because I get a lot of questions about the timing and what that looks like for a program that starts in January. Sure. So we open, as soon as the CASPA cycle opens in April, we open. Uh, and then we do our screening uh, one staff member that works with me, but it's her and I that screen all the applications. So for our 45 seats, we usually get around 4,000 applicants. So it's a lot of a lot of application screening through CASPA. Um, and then we have some internal uh, measures that we use to sort of uh, figure out who the most competitive applicants are. Um, and we try to, every day during the admission season, I'm screening applications, and she is screening applications. So we try to get back to people right away. We send an email when we get the application. Uh, we send an email after we do the initial screening, and if they do good on the initial screening, we send an email that says that. Um, and then uh, we invite people for interviews, and we start interviewing um, a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks after the um, cycle opens in CASPA, and we do an interview a week. So we interview about 200 people for our 45 seats. Um, and we let people know right away uh, for that. We do not have a rolling admissions process. So we don't make any admission decisions um, until, well, I, should, I should clarify. So we make initial admissions decisions after the interview, whether you know, if the interview went well, we sort of hold them. If it didn't go well, we let people know right away, like, hey, you know, probably isn't gonna work out. And then at the very end, which for us is uh, end of August, early September, we've interviewed everybody that we're gonna interview. We sort of go over everything again, and then the admissions committee gets together, which is basically all of the faculty and staff, it's a big committee, um, and we vote. Uh, and most of the time, it's unanimous. It's unusual for us not to have a unanimous vote on who we're selecting. And then we have a, a number of alternates that we select as well. We let every, everybody know for that. So that happens in September. And then um, there's a couple of events before the class starts in January. 
We have uh, basically an alumni event when all the alumni come together and the current students, it's called Admitted Students Day, and they spend uh, three quarters of a day together kind of hanging out, like, how did this go for you, and get advice from people who've just graduated and things like that, and current students in terms of what's working and what isn't. Um, and then we start January, like, 3rd or 4th, something, so it changes a little bit every year, but uh, that way it gives the students um, some time to sort of get settled. Uh, so you know what they're getting into. They're four months out from the start when they get selected. Uh, inevitably, we have last-minute drops, so people that, uh, you know, have a, very competitive applicants, and we've seen this more and more as our applicants have been more and more competitive. They've uh, got, you know, 10 interviews and three uh, offers, and so, um, you know, it's a little bit frustrating for us when they don't make a decision early. They'll wait until we're about to start, and then we have to call an alternate four days before. Uh, in the last, this current class, it wasn't quite that bad, but in the prior class, we called uh, someone on our alternate list a week before we started who lived in Florida oh, uh, because wow. we had a last minute drop like that and she dropped everything. She was here. She started on time and she is a superstar. She was great. So um, very um, committed. She wasn't the alternate seat. She was like, definitely uh, will be there if you, if you call me and she, she was. So um, wow. Anyway, that's one thing I might give uh, some advice I might give to very competitive applicants is be mindful that when you have all of these offers of admission, somebody else is waiting for whatever seat you're not taking. So the sooner you make that decision, uh, the better, uh, not only for the program that you're going to be attending and for the programs that you're not going to be attending, but especially for others who are applicants who are waiting on your decision so that uh, they can get in. No, that's great advice. So I hope that answered your question. I feel oh, like yeah, just... yeah. And I'm, I'm going to probably gonna ask you more questions. Um, okay, so that is very helpful. And so I'm assuming the people who apply to your program, since there's such a quick turnaround, they have a very complete application. You're looking for someone who has everything completed, um, nothing in progress, really. They're kind of good to go. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So um, that's a question we get a lot is, oh, you know, I graduate in June. I'm almost done. Can I apply now? Uh, the answer is no, please don't. Uh, so we did try one year. Uh, we took in-progress work. And like this gray hair wasn't there before that. So <laughs> it almost killed me. Uh, it was very difficult. So we changed um, our sort of process. So the questions that came up about that were, uh, you know, people graduate in June and maybe they're working in school and so they've got just their number of hours and uh, they're worried about having a gap year. But I will tell you, like, the gap year makes for such a stronger applicant. It really is not something to be afraid of. Uh, we, most of the people we accept um, tend to have a gap year, not always, uh, but we just find that it makes them so much stronger as an applicant, as having spent that year just working, kind of getting it together. Uh, but, that, you know, some people are pre very prepared right out of undergrad. They graduate in June. We just ask that our, our cycle actually closes in, in CASPA on August 1st, so that's the last day. Um, so all we're looking for you know, for people, they, they need to have all of their um, prerequisite coursework, um, all of their coursework done, and their degree showing on a transcript when they apply, which we found can be a little bit challenging trying to get by July, but most people can get that done in August. Mm -hmm. You just have to work with their registrar's office and say, hey, I need this right away so they can get their um, application in. Uh, if they've been working throughout undergrad, they've already accrued, we require 1,000 hours of healthcare experience. 
if they've accrued that while they were an undergrad, then they can graduate in June and, or, you know, May or June and apply by August to our program and start in January. Okay. So we felt like it was kind of a good time frame. If, you're, if you've been planning ahead, you can, you know, get into PA school right away. Um, or uh, you can wait for a year and apply and get, you know, that whole year of experience uh, under your belt and apply there. Okay. So that, I mean, sounds reasonable to me. Do y'all require any standardized testing? We don't. I'm glad you asked about that. Um, and it's really kind of interesting with the PA cat coming mm -hmm. around and people starting to use that and stuff. When you look at medical school, they're kind of going the opposite direction now, right? A lot of medical schools are getting away from the NCAT. Uh, so what we found is in looking at the usefulness of some of those tests, whether it's the PA cat or the GRE, is that they do predict um, the ability to take a standardized test pretty well, um, which, you know, as a PA student, uh, you have to be pretty good at taking standardized tests, but they don't tell the whole picture. And some people just don't do very well in high pressure testing situations. Um, and so we have a holistic admissions process where we're looking not just at the GPA, but we look to see, you know, have you done volunteer work? Are you working in school? Um, you know, uh, what kind of uh, life experiences have you had, challenges have you had to overcome? And so when looking at all of those pieces together, uh, we felt like the um, standardized testing might um, give us a different picture than we're trying to get, not quite as a holistic a picture. So, and there's so many hoops to jump to already as a PA applicant, we just felt like we don't want to give them a test they have to take. We don't want to give them a supplemental application. Just take your time, get your CASPA done right, and we're just going to use that. We do reevaluate our admissions uh, policies every year, depending on sort of how the cycle goes. But right now, we currently do not require the GRE or the um, PA CAT, um, and I'm hopeful that we'll keep it that way. We are doing an experimental thing this year where we're using CASPER. So uh, everybody who will be um, invite to interview, we're going to ask them to get on the CASPER and fill that out. And what we're doing um, is comparing CASPER to uh, the part of our interview process that looks at the same things as CASPER to see if we get the same results. And if we do, uh, what that means is we'll use CASPER instead of that second part of our interview process, uh, which will mean we can interview a few more people per day. Nice. So, yeah, our interview day is, uh, we get a lot of positive feedback from um, applicants on our interview day. Uh, because we have a holistic process, uh, we spend basically all day. We don't uh, use an MMI or anything else. Uh, there's a um, panel interview, which is kind of the standard. You sit around with the faculty and they ask you questions. And there's also a group interview, which is also kind of standard. There's some uh, frustration-inducing activities and then some group work together to see how people work in groups. Um, and we eat breakfast and lunch with the applicants, uh, and that is unstructured. We just kind of hang out uh, for an hour and eat and uh, get to know people. And uh, the feedback that we've gotten from applicants is that they felt like, you know, I spent enough time there and talked to the faculty enough that I felt like I got to know them pretty well. And that really is our goal in admissions because the outcome is that we want people that we know are going to be good providers that have good uh, clinical skills with patients who might, you know, be our family members. Uh, and that are going to be good classmates, uh, and they're going to be good colleagues when they graduate. And someday they might have great scores and a great GRE score and stuff, uh, but we feel like it's hard to get a feel for what kind of person they are without just spending some time. So uh, it is a faculty-intensive day. It takes all day, you know, wipes out a whole day for the faculty. 
Uh, and so, you know, it's, it represents a large uh, sort of um, cost to the program. It's not a, an actual cost, but it's a time cost and things that faculty aren't doing. But we feel like it's an investment that's really paid off. We're really happy with the folks that we've chosen. And really, you know, when you think about interview, it's about fit, right? You're getting ready to spend a lot of money on education, and you want to know that the program you're going to, you um, are well aligned with them, right? And they are well aligned with you. So it's a good fit on both ends of that. Uh, and so I think important advice to give to applicants is to make sure they know the program mission and they feel like um, it's a good bi-directional fit. You, know, you don't want it to fit one way and not the other. No, I completely agree. Um... And we'll come back to interviews more in a second. But out of out of the four thousand applications you get, are all of those people qualified for your program, or do some of them automatically get kind of taken out because of GPA? I mean, how many applications are you actually that are competitive? At? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. Yeah, probably a third uh, don't even meet our basic requirements. Okay. So the initial screening is. Um, do you have a baccalaureate degree? We don't care if it's a science background or arts background. Any baccalaureate degree is fine as long as it's from an accredited institution. Um, is your GPA above three for science and overall? Um, and do you have the prerequisite courses? That's our initial screening. Um, and, and of course, a healthcare experience of a thousand hours as well. So we look at those things first off and we eliminate about a third uh, just on those. Okay. So that, that, Takes it out a little bit, not that much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you have seen a lot of applications. You've read probably a lot of personal statements. What stands out to you? What, because I mean, I've seen a lot of applications too, and after a while, they kind of look very similar. Um, yeah. So what makes you kind of stop and go, oh, okay, this person, I want to meet them? Yeah. Uh, in terms of personal statement, I think what shines through really is sincerity. Right. So if someone is just really sincere and I really feel like I'm getting a good feel for who they are as a person and their motivation for wanting to go to PA school, um, that shines through. We get a lot of uh, creative writing essays. Right. So that's like it was a stormy Tuesday night. And, you know, the ambulance was squealing around the corner. And my heart rate was beating. And I'm like, OK, that's entertaining, but that's not very sincere. Right. Like, I want you to tell me, like, from your heart why you want to do this or uh, how you came to this decision or if you don't have some crazy experience about that that's totally fine but you had to come to the decision a certain way and there has to be something about the profession uh, that speaks to you because most competitive applicants are would be a competitive med school applicant they'd be a competitive nursing school applicant uh, lots of different reason you know ways that they could go what's the reason you want to be a PA um, and if you're very sincere about that and you share that thought process and why you want to do that, um, I think that shines through. The ones that are problematic are the ones that um, really don't answer the question about why you want to be a PA um, or that are insincere, uh, maybe that are like a sales pitch. That usually kind of bothers me. Um, it doesn't, it's not enough to, you know, disqualify your application, but the sales pitch, like, I can read it. <laughs> We can read your whole application. I don't need you to, to sell me on it. Um, I really want to know just why you want to do this. And then, of course, don't uh, don't submit a a personal statement that's full of grammatical errors and uh, the the apostrophe. I don't know if you've heard about that. The apostrophe yes. is kind of a no no, right? You want to be careful with that. So um, those are those are some suggestions. And take some time. Like that personal statement is so important. 
That's what we're judging you by. So you want that to represent you as honestly and sincerely as possible. Great advice. I completely agree with you. Um, okay, so then moving on to interviews. And I, I would imagine the same kind of things make someone stand out, someone who's very passionate and sincere. Um, if there's anything else that makes someone stand out, that would be helpful. But also, what about red flags? Like something you may see at an interview or even on an application that just kind of shuts you off completely and puts yeah. that person <laughs> on the back burner. Yeah. yeah, I think lying. Uh, so any kind of lying, uh, dishonesty is pretty much uh, not good, uh, pretty going to hurt you. Um, insincerity, um, so sort of being fake. Um, that's one of the reasons we do a whole day interview because you can fake it for an hour. It's really hard to fake it for a whole day, right? So, uh, and you know, we involve our whole staff in everything. So we want to see how you interact with the faculty, but also the staff and uh, other volunteers that are here with the alumni. Like, how are you in any kind of given setting? So if you're not being yourself, um, it shows uh, at the interview. So trying to be someone you're not, I think, is um, a big mistake that we see people make occasionally. Um, certainly being rude to anybody is a bad thing. Uh, so, uh, and that includes other applicants. I mean, these you're competing with people for a seat, but these are people who are going to be your colleagues someday, right? So um, we have uh, lots of people um, who met on their interview day here. Now they're classmates, and they're really glad they were nice to each other. And generally that, you know, we're looking, uh, you know, our philosophy is to have a student-centered, compassionate healthcare provider, that kind of stuff. And so we're looking for people that kind of are that way. And so if you're not demonstrating those qualities in the interview for us, that's bad. Um, and then on the application as well, uh, if there's things that just don't add up, like how do you have 25,000 hours of healthcare experience and you're 21 years old and you just got out of undergrad, like, come on, you know, or double counting things like, uh, you know, I, I was uh, an MA, so I counted all of my hours as an MA in healthcare experience and in, well, I didn't get paid for as much as I worked, so I count the whole thing in volunteer work too, and that pretty much is like, you know, not going to work well for us uh, here. Okay, those are all such great tips. Um, any last imparting words of wisdom? Oh, one last question that I almost forgot because I didn't write it down, but coronavirus it's a hot topic it's on everyone's minds it has people kind of worried about their PA school applications with all these undergrad programs going to online having their semesters shut down um, do you see that affecting this upcoming PA school application cycle at all or may we don't know I mean what are your thoughts on that so far well, I think if you look at the kind of velocity of the illness and what's happened in Italy, we're about two weeks behind them, right? So if you look at where Italy was two weeks ago, that's kind of us today and where they've gone. So I think that um, we are likely to see uh, more impact from coronavirus and COVID-19 in the next two to three weeks. Um, we just closed our campus today, just before we got on here. Uh, and transitioned everything to online. Um, we are working with our clinical sites, but um, likely there's going to be some impact there as well. So I think, you know, the cycle starts the 29th of April. So for 
Schools that are later in the CASPA cycle, maybe they start uh, looking at applications and interviewing in the fall, probably not going to impact them at all. Um, for schools like us, that we start right away as soon as the cycle opens. Um, I'm hopeful that it doesn't impact anything, but if it does, I think, you know, we a lot of the work we'll be doing from home and CASPA screening, uh, we do that at home. Uh, Unfortunately, during the application cycle all the time, always doing those screenings at home. Uh, but I think with our interview days, uh, we would just rework our schedule to move them back to whenever the campus is open and then have more interview days. So I don't think from the end of the cycle perspective, like when we select the class um, and notify folks, uh, there will be a change, although it, there might on our end be some change in scheduling for how we get those interviews done. Uh, I'm, I anticipate that the dates will not change for us. Everything will sort of stay the same. And from the applicant perspective, there probably won't be a difference uh, at our program, but I think it, other programs, uh, it may impact them, especially if they interview very early in the CASPA cycle. Yeah, well, kind of wait and see. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And, and you have a tough job, so just thank you for doing that. That's what I always remember. Like when I was in PA school and we actually got to help with interviews a lot, I think people don't realize that admissions is a pretty much a full-time thing because it happens so quickly. You're constantly, I mean, as soon as you get done, another cycle opens. So um, there's a lot that goes into it that I think people don't see until you're in PA school maybe and get to kind of be a part get of that. Help, so. Yeah, get to help visit with applicants and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah I think no. that's true. Yeah, it's It fun. is fun though. I really enjoy it. And uh, what I think... One thing I really like about my job is that uh, we have a policy where we answer every email, we answer every phone call. And I, you know, uh, when I applied through the military, I sent my stuff off. There was nobody to ask. It was like, well, you send it off to this black hole and maybe you get something back, you know. Uh, but uh, for us, we try to have lots of feedback with applicants and uh, make sure that they figure things out. One other red flag is when people ask a lot of questions that are on the website. <laughs> we always answer them, but you do kind of think in the back of your mind, like, hey, you know how to use the web, right? Yeah. Google. It's your friend. So, yeah, check the website, can't figure it out, then call or email. Okay, so okay. calling or emailing is the best way to get in touch with y'all? Probably email is the best, but if you, if the email doesn't work, then, yeah, call. We, we return every phone call and uh, every email. Of course, phone calls for the next month for us are going to be difficult. Our campus just closed until um, April 17th, so... Um, email is probably to be the only way to go until then, although uh, we will be checking our voicemail every few days. There's a way for us to log on the Internet and get our voicemail. Um, but we'll, uh, we do answer every email and every phone call. Awesome. Well, I will link to all of that in the description of this, and we'll share on social media and all that. But thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. <laughs>